to Cinema Talk, the official podcast of the UW Cinematheque. In Madison, Wisconsin, I'm Jim Healy, Director of Programming for the Cinematheque. The Cinematheque continues its series of free movies to watch at home this week with the new documentary Nomad in the Footsteps of Bruce Chatwin, directed by famed German filmmaker Werner Herzog. A selection of the 2019 Telluride and Vancouver Film Festivals, Nomad was also a selection of the canceled 2020 Wisconsin Film Festival. In Nomad, Herzog recreates the journeys of his friend and collaborator Bruce Chatwin, a celebrated adventurer and writer who died from AIDS in 1989. Through eight distinct chapters, Herzog travels to Patagonia, the Black Mountains of Wales, and the Australian outback, encountering concepts, people, and places from Chatwin's explorations. An eclectic mix of teachers and experts, from mountain guides to Australian Aboriginal elders, discuss the convergences of nature and myth that fascinated Chatwin, and heartfelt interviews with his widow and biographer reveal insights into Chatwin's personal life. Audio recordings of Bruce Chatwin reading from his own work give him a vivid presence in this tender tribute. Despite the focus on another artist, the signatures of Herzog's films are all here. His reflective voiceover, gorgeous shots of bizarre landscapes, and clips from his past film projects that involve Chatwin in some way. In Nomad, Herzog is in an elegiac mode of filmmaking, contemplating the loss of a friend and trying to recapture his unique perspective on a mysterious world. Beginning September 10th, the Cinematheque has a limited number of opportunities for Wisconsin residents only to view Nomad at Home for free. To receive access, send an email to info at cinema.wisc.edu. That's info at cinema.wisc.edu. And make sure to have the word Herzog, that's H-E-R-Z-O-G, in the subject line or the first line of the email. Please note that the movie will only be viewable within the state of Wisconsin. On this episode of Cinema Talk, our guest is Madison-based journalist Rob Thomas, film critic, features editor, and social media editor for the Capital Times. At the Capital Times, Rob's been a part of the staff since 1999. Rob and I talk about Nomad and its relation to Herzog's prolific body of work. As commercial movie theaters begin to reopen, Rob's been reporting from the front lines, and we also chat about the current state of cinema exhibition here in Madison. Here's my talk with Rob Thomas. Rob Thomas, welcome to Cinema Talk. Hey, thanks for having me, Jim. It's good to have you. Uh, can you tell us, uh, begin by telling us what kind of Herzog film you think Nomad is, uh, how and where you see it fitting in with his other work? Well, it's sort of this, it's interesting. It's sort of this strange hybrid, I would say, of like My Best Fiend and Cave of Forgotten Dreams, I guess I would say. And like, because it's very much on one level a you know, a travel documentary that fits in with Forgotten Dreams or, you know, Encounters at the End of the World or something like that. But on the other hand, I mean, it's it's very sort of sneakily and maybe inadvertently personal for Herzog and certainly goes back into 
his own filmography in a really interesting way and the way he's talking about his friendship with Bruce Chatwin. So it's an interesting sort of synthesis, which I think makes it a really interesting and, and, and exciting film to watch. There's a moment in the latter half of the film where he's talking, I think, with a, I think he's a mountain guide about Bruce Chatwin. It's the moment where he brings out Chatwin's rucksack and, right. and is, you know, is showing it to him. And the the person he's talking to seems to be under the impression that Herzog wants to talk about himself and that this film is about himself. But Herzog keeps protesting. No, no, no. This is a film about Bruce Chatwin. It's not about, it's not about me. You say uh, it's a very personal film and I agree with you, but, and I, I would... I, I guess you'd agree that maybe Herzog is protesting a little too much there, that it, he probably, as you say, sneakily probably realizes the movie is is very much personal. It's very much just as much about himself, if not more so than than Bruce Chatwin. Right. He says, I am not the protagonist, but, you know, right. obviously he's not, but he's certainly he's looking at the world through Bruce Chatwin's eyes. And that kind of reflects back on himself. I mean, you know, especially when he is talking about that rucksack or talking about, um, you know, visiting Bruce Chatwin the last time he saw him before he died and and showing him. I mean, I mean, Herzog tears up on screen while he's talking about this, where he's showing him. I'm not sure what the film was, but he's showing it in like 10 minute chunks because Chatwin doesn't have the strength to really process much more than that and sort of like his mind wanders and then he comes back to it. I mean, it's tremendously moving. And, and, you know, I think Herzog, he has this sort of outsized public persona as this sort of wild man of cinema. And you hear all these stories about him getting shot during a BBC interview or rescuing, rescuing Joaquin Phoenix from a burning car or whatever it was, you know, he has this persona and it's, it's a very tender moment. And obviously, as the filmmaker, he left it in. So he was obviously comfortable sharing that side of him. Um, and then I would say, you know, more broadly, I mean, Bruce Chat was very much a kindred spirit to Herzog and how they see the world. I mean, even though they were different, Chatwin was a travel writer. Uh, Herzog was a filmmaker. You know, they, they, they'd love to go to these undiscovered places. Um, on foot, as 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 Herzog says in the film, and and discover them and 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 capture them in some way, and and um, you know sort of connect them to these sort of larger mythic themes. And so, when Herzog uh, talks about Chatwin and 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 memorializes him, you know, it's a part of himself that he's talking about as well. Yeah, at the very least, it's about his relationship with Chatwin and for sure he, about how his life and work connects to Chatwin um have you read any Chatwin I, I I have not I'm I have not I have heard of of uh is it in Patagonia or on Patagonia yeah in Patagonia uh, which I guess was his first book and um apparently he quit his job and just left a note with his boss that said gone to Patagonia which is a great way <laughs> Great, great exit line when you're leaving a job. I might just do that if I ever get fired. Um, but um, but I've heard of that one, I think. And I've heard – is one something I've heard of, but I've never read. But, I mean, boy, if nothing else, this movie's going to send you trying to find one of his books because um, uh, there's excerpts from it 
throughout the movie, but also just the spirit of it, I think is, is, and, and the fact you get to see these places is, um, you know, really inspires you to go see it. Yeah. I'm with you. It's, uh, it, it is inspiring to see the places and, and read, read Bruce Chatwin and maybe even see some, some other Herzog films. I, 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 I'm interested in Chatwin and I did a little bit of, uh, reading on him, and uh, I think that job that he walked away from that you mentioned was a, I think, a university position. Um, but before that, he had worked at Sotheby's, um, gathering uh, uh, art for auction and convincing wealthy people to sell their sell their art collections. And that he he got burned out on that. Um, but what uh, Herzog doesn't talk about um, when he talks about how their lives and works overlapped and, and, and intertwined is that uh, Chatwin had a real interest in in cinema and filmmaking. Uh, and in fact, he tried to make a documentary about nomads uh, just before or, or at the beginning of his writing of In Patagonia, which a lot of it deals with, you know, the, the nomads of Patagonia. Um, and uh, he abandoned the project. He I think he lost some film at some point and walked away from it. Later on, he... Uh, he wrote some novels, uh, one of which Herzog adapted into Cobra Verde, and another that was made posthumously um, based on one of his novels called Utz, directed by George Sloyser, who made The Vanishing. Um, and uh, Chatwin, at some point, wrote a screenplay, adapted his novel into a screenplay for Sloyser, but didn't, didn't live to see the finished film. I've read Utz. I read it like thirty years ago. I, until now, I did not make the connection that it was the same person I was. I was uh, watching a movie about. I just re- realized that I read that just out of college, I think. And I guess that's a book that that goes back to the subject of which goes back to his university or his his post university years of working at Sotheby's and working in the art world and and the world of collectors. I guess that's that's the that's the one his one book that really touches on that. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to remember. I mean, literally, the title is like what sticks in your mind of that book, and and um, but um, but that's so fascinating. He was, you know, an, at least an aspiring filmmaker, um, and sort of, you know, of a piece with Herzog in a way because Herzog is a filmmaker, makes many different kinds of films, um, yet all or most, I would say, are pretty recognizably Herzog. Is also has written a couple of books. Um, is also an actor, um, and is sort of that kind of restless person who you know kind of follows the follows the path wherever it takes him. I think. I mean, um, I think in the film, I think it was Nicholas Shakespeare talks about just all the different connections he makes between different things, different aspects of his life, different things he finds around the world, and. Um, uh, Herzog says something like he was the internet, which I believe he means as a compliment. Um, is, well, he was he's more like the promise of the internet, the fact yes. that it would take you to places you would never see before, other than you know what it usually is, which is you go to the same five places all the time to get your opinions reaffirmed. Yes, quickly um, make a connection between some idea and or yeah. place or person to something that would seem to be completely random in, in a matter of a few words. Uh, right, he could do it. Yeah, there's a hunger there. I I think uh, the search for strangeness. I think Herzog says at one point, and and yeah, I mean, I think that's something they very much share. You know, and and following it wherever, wherever that hunger takes them. Yeah, I want to talk about Herzog as a nomad in a minute, 
But uh, there's uh, you mentioned that Herzog was a writer, and in fact, I guess he he talks about this a little bit in the movie. Is the, the two things they bonded over early uh, when they finally met in Australia in the mid 1980s was that they both had this love for walking uh, and, and the, the pleasures of traveling and discovering things while walking. And in fact, Herzog's first published book was a memoir of his walk across a huge chunk of Europe uh, as a kind of homage to his uh, dying friend, Lottie Eisner. Uh, and that book's called uh, uh, On Walking in Ice. Hmm. Um, and and Chatwin had that book and had read it and, and admired it. And, and that was something that was written before uh, Chatwin wrote any of his travel books. Um, and I don't know exactly know when Chatwin read it, but um, clearly they they had connections years before they met. Um, what's the what's the Herzog quote in the film? It's um, uh, the earth reveals itself to those who travel by foot or something like that. Yeah, that's yeah. beautiful. It's a great quote. Yeah. Towards the beginning, he's trying to sum up what Chatwin was after in his writing. And he says that. Uh, and I think he's he's also talking about himself that he was after uh, a number of things, but in, he sums it up at the end, saying big ideas about the nature of existence, <laughs> and and it's and I think the key word there is nature, and not you know the answers or solving the mystery. It's 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 ideas about connections and observing things and celebrating them, but. Uh, this is something that uh, Herzog in his films, and I assume Chatwin in his writing, uh, is not they're, they're, is enough for them. They're not trying to, you know, solve the mysteries of the universe or even, you know, uh, uh, soothe the souls of, of, of their viewers and their readers. They're just trying to share their excitement about these big ideas about the nature of existence. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think... Herzog, especially after Grizzly Man, I mean, there's sort of this reputation that he has a very, uh, I don't know what to say. I mean, nature is this very pitiless thing, a uh, very, you know, when, when I hear people sort of parodying Herzog, they're, talk, they're talking about the futility of life or, you know, something really dark and apocalyptic just because of that. But, you know, I think that's part of the of the beauty he sees in the natural world is that it is so... You know, it has its own laws and moves by its own rhythms that human beings can't understand. And that's not necessarily a negative thing. I don't know if that makes sense, but I I, I, I agree. And I think that I think that that that's it's not necessarily a negative thing. But I would also say that uh, I was watching My Best Fiend again. Did you get to look at it again? I didn't get a chance. I'm sorry. Well, there's a section in it that it is, I think it's just reused footage from Burden of Dreams, which is Les Blank's documentary about the making of uh, Fitzcarraldo. Right. And he's talking about the the area where they're filming, you know, the the just just alongside the Amazon and the jungles. And, 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 and he talks about it in those often parodied, parroted um, voices that, you know, that that people who are imitating Herzog talk about that you just mentioned. And he's talk he's talking about it in these pitiless, you know, scary terms. But of course, he's fascinated by it at the same time. But right. it also seems to me that 
I don't know if it's maturity uh, or um, just a, just a just a change in style um, or, or 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 just a growing optimism about the, the nature of existence and, and humanity. But it, it seems to me that the tone of a movie like Nomad and many of his films from the last 20 years, um, especially, maybe even beginning with My Best Fiend, where he's kind of um, reconciling with, with Klaus Kinski, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a in, increasing encroaching gentleness to uh, his style of filmmaking that is not about... Um, the the forbidden qualities of or the or the uh, forbidding qualities of of the nature of existence. There's a and and it really comes off in in Nomad, especially yeah. I think is this just in 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 holding up Bruce Chatwin as an example and in doing so him himself in his own work. Uh, I think there's a real uh, gentle and mature quality to it, a, a kind of a growing optimism about humanity, certainly an appreciation and a, and a mature acceptance of human behavior. I mean, he's, I think he's almost 80 years old, so it's, you know, not surprising that this would be happening in the last 20 years, but. Yeah, there's a, there's a humility there, I would say, before life and nature. Um, and even like, like, isn't there a moment in the film when he's in Australia and he, he finds like a, like a Star Wars fighter left left right. over from, and I think it's one of the prequels or whatever. Right. And, um, you know, I, I think another filmmaker would be like, oh, it's it's the modern world despoiling uh, nature. And, and But really his attitude seems to be more, you know what? I mean, generations leave stuff everywhere around the world, and this is our generation's stuff. And and it, it's just part, it's just part of, living on earth i think i don't yeah. know I, I and the two things about that star wars spaceship which I, as you said i think is left over from one of the 90s uh, early 2000 prequels but um one it's interesting that he made it just before apparently appearing on the mandalorian so he can't right. make that connection there <laughs> uh um but but that's another interesting connection of to his work and and uh, or between two pieces of his work. But uh, also it reminded me again uh, about how so much of his work, Nomad included, um, is almost takes the point of view of uh, a non-human, a, 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 an alien almost, a, a kind of regard for life on Earth and humanity as seen through someone who's not of this Earth. Uh, and, and you see that in early stuff like Fata Morgana and um, and through the point of view of of certain characters that he has, you know, like Casper um, uh, Hauser and Bruno and Strojek. Right. Uh, these are real kind of um, uh, outsiders who re regard everything as if it's it's something very strange and and wonderful to behold. Yeah, he seems very comfortable in that observer role and and um you know, which is why I think this this movie is so nomad is so interesting because it's not just him providing voiceover narration. I mean, he really is a if not the protagonist. I mean, certainly a major part of it in in terms of not just visiting these places but also remembering Bruce Chatwin and 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 um, 
and revealing, you know, I mean, even just to have uh, Shakespeare read what Chatwin wrote about Herzog hmm. reflects back onto him in a way that's interesting and unusual for a Herzog film where I think he's he's always trying to play the role of the observer, whether he's making a documentary or whether he has a character who is kind of an observer uh, moving through the film in, in more of a drama, I think. So it, it, that's why, and I don't know, maybe that is all part of what you said about, you know, ter- nearing 80 and, and, uh, and um, you know, feeling more comfortable with that. Although I, I will say, I, I think I spoke to you that uh, Herzog did a Q&A, a live stream Q&A last night uh, with the, uh, I think it's called the Coolidge Corner Theater in, yeah, in Boston, Brooklyn, Massachusetts, which must be like a fantastic theater and has an amazing virtual program. If anybody Legendary can. art house. Yeah, it's wonderful. So I think we can like, share that Q&A along with this podcast. Uh, yeah, it's great. On our, on our, um, on our blog. Um, so I did through you type in your questions. I did ask him, uh, you know, you reveal your quite a bit of yourself in this in Nomad. Would you ever consider um, you know, writing a, a straight up memoir or, um, you know, making a film about your films like, uh, Agnes Varda did. And I mean, he shut that down immediately. It was like, that would be <laughs> way too embarrassing. I mean, he said films about filmmakers are usually very embarrassing. And he said, um, so the effect of like, you, I want to, you want to be very, very cautious not to over explain, which I thought was a great, uh, Herzog, uh, quote about himself and how he approaches his art. I, I, again, I think he protests too much because in, <laughs> in a way I think he's made it. I think, right. uh, I think, you know, it's not, not none of them do the, uh, you know, say that Noah Baumbach t- documentary about Brian De Palma, where he takes his films one by one. He hasn't done that. And I don't think we expect him to do that, but my best fiend is very, uh, reflective of his own of his own films and his work and you know filtered through his relationship with Klaus Kinski and those films they made together and this film brings in even more of his work than My Best Fiend I mean there was just the five films he made with Kinski this brings up um, uh, Signs of Life his first narrative feature which Bruce Chatwin had a high regard for at least a certain sequence of it Uh, the documentary was uh, title is escaping me that he made after Cobra Verde that he showed Bruce Chatwin on his deathbed. Um, there's a film he made in the early nineties called scream of stone that fits into this narrative. Right. Um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, again, Fitz and, and, and other movies too. I'm sure I'm leaving some out in, 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 in how they relate, but, um, in, in, in how they come up, but, it's it is a film about a filmmaker and and about making movies and how that compares to being a travel writer and being what you know an adventurer like Bruce Chatwin did uh, was. Yeah, I I think um, he he would ne- I don't know if it's humility or frankly disinterest in in revisiting his own stuff directly, but I think having another subject, whether it's Kinski or Bruce Chatwin does allow him to put some kind of buffer there where he is allowing himself to be a little more introspective than he right. would otherwise be. Yeah. Removed from the story. As right. Where I guess. Yeah. Um, 
the other interesting thing about the Q&A, which I watched also, is uh, the, the, the idea of uh, his own kind of nomadic nature. You know, he's in a, they're both, both Herzog and Chatwin are adventurers, right? And they would go to these extreme corners of the globe. I mean, he, Herzog made a documentary in Antarctica just 12, 13 years ago and, you know, gone to, you know, volcanoes and oil spill explosions and, you know, all to all corners of the globe. Um, but he, he mentioned in that Q&A that he's very happy to be home during the, during the pandemic. He's very happy not to be traveling anymore. Uh, it's given him time to write, and uh, maybe his uh, maybe his globe trotting adventurer days are over. I I doubt it. I, he seems like someone who who makes do with the circumstances. Like I like he like somebody asked him for advice for young filmmakers, and he used the phrase "be a good soldier," and that really stuck with me. As like you know, have courage, but also you know deal with the situation in front of you. And it, he seems to me like someone who you know can do that and like you know i i have no doubt he'll you know he seems in great health that, that he'll, he'll hit the road somehow um one thing i wanted to say about nomad was i think what, what surprised me about it is like how much of that unspoiled world is still out there that he finds in the film that it's not like you know i mean he literally finds a, a boat in patagonia that's a, a shipwreck that's just just stopped just short of shore that's looks exactly the same as it did when Chatwin photographed it 40 years ago. And and that mm -hmm. was sort of, there's something so heartening about that. Cause you sort of think about the world as being industrialized and, and, and um, steamrolled and stuff. And so it was really heartening to see some of those, some of those beautiful drone shots, I guess they are of the land, these land, strange landscapes that are as of now, exactly as they were when Chatwin saw them. That stuff is wonderful, and he's just always turning up things that you've never seen in a movie before. Yeah, um, uh, and and just feel very striking and and unusual and real at the same time. I th I'm thinking about you know here uh, the uh, cave paintings of the with with the hands. I think they're they're Aboriginal paintings in. In Australia, right? Isn't that where the I the think that's right with, yeah. with the hands, and uh, really, uh, aside from his opening talking about Chatwin and the, their mutual big ideas about the nature of existence, this is this is the moment where I think he sums up their work and maybe all of his films when he talks about the more you look at them, the more unreal, the more mysterious they become. Right, and and that's just. That's that's the ultimate for him. That for something to become more mysterious as he gets older and as he reflects on it is is truly the the ultimate reward. Yeah, that is like a thesis statement, I think, in some way. And, and we talked about him being the observer role, um, but being at a at a remove allows you to really look at something that a lot of people never see or maybe don't look at enough to really. Uh, kind of take into their soul like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, you you mentioned in your question at the Q and A, you brought up Agnes Varda, and she was a filmmaker I thought of very much too, especially in the kind of self regarding way that she's interested in a lot of different things, 
uh, a lot of seemingly incongruous things um, and ties them all together somehow. Sometimes by bringing in her own past work and and showing clips from it um, in, the, in the way that Herzog does here. Um, but really deftly. And I, I, I want to ask you, as a writer... Um, what what is that uh, what is that particular skill? Is it is it essay writing? Is it uh, as a as a as a writer and as an artist? What is it that they're doing that's so deft and amazing to to watch? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it is sort of like you know, I would say you know, some writers and filmmakers and artists seem to go from project to project. And some work out and some don't. And then they go on to the next one. And then like Varda or Herzog, like Herzog's made a lot of movies. And I like a lot I haven't seen. Like I was looking at his IMDB page. And I was like, there's a lot in the last 10 years I'd even heard of. Yeah, me too. I've stuck mostly to the to the so-called nonfiction films. Right. But, uh, I've missed like, a couple of, you know, he did, he had a Nicole Kidman movie and right. a film with Michael Shannon and I've missed them. Yeah. And, but it is that sense of like you can kind of see where they all fit into the to the puzzle in some way i think and like maybe some don't work and maybe some you know are are underseen criminally or underseen deservedly but they you know they're always moving forward and they're always sort of accumulating and building on what's gone before and i think that's really inspiring i mean you certainly as a writer i mean a newspaper writer, so not a, not an essayist or whatever, but you do sort of, you hope you get better and you hope that like you bring what you've done in the past to, to what you're doing now. You hope when I write a review of Nomad, I'm, I'm thinking not just about that film, but the other Herzog films I've seen. And, and, um, but for them, I think it, it really, it's really a, uh, an arc to it that I think is really inspiring and, 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 even if the pieces didn't make sense when they sort of follow one after the other, once you kind of look back on it, you can kind of see where everything kind of fits together. That's a great observation. And maybe sometimes it doesn't always fit together. And the secret to both of them seems to be that they're constantly working and, yeah. and writing. And that's what Herzog was saying last night. He's, he's happy not to be traveling right now because he can just sit down and write. And that's what he's been doing for six yeah. months. And, and uh, wonder what, uh, what it will lead to next, I'm sure. Yes. At least, at least three more films next year, probably. Right. Probably, yeah. Speaking of uh, being locked up at this time, or quarantined, or at least partly quarantined, can you talk about what it means to be a film critic at this time? How have you adapted, or should I say, have you needed to adapt at this time? Well, it's it's interesting because because the. The truth is, for a film critic in a smaller market, um, there's two ways this has actually been a great time for me. One is that, um, you know, films are all or nearly all being released uh, digitally in the last six months. And so I'm getting access to films that I wouldn't have gotten access to if they had played in the theater so I can write about them. Um, and also the other thing is, you know, a lot of smaller independent films, like I just didn't know if they would play in Madison. Like you see them open in New York or Los Angeles. You're like, well, I hope that gets here, but it'll be a month or two before it does usually. And so 
you know, now I can really sort of have my pick of like, well, that seems really interesting. And I know it's going to be on, you know, Amazon or iTunes or Voodoo on Friday. So I can write about that and people can see it. And I, I think the upside is like films that might have been steamrolled otherwise by if they were just on VOD, it doesn't have that quite that stigma anymore. Um, the downside is there's just tons of stuff out there and it's really hard to go like which ones are going to be worth it, which ones are worth my time to watch and for the the reader to read about. And, and um, so that's something I struggle with. You know, people, people always say, well, what are you watching during quarantine? I'm watching all these things I have to write about because there's so many of them. And then that doesn't even get into the TV shows I write because I do a, a streaming TV column as well. Um, um, now the theaters are just opening up. You, you and I talked for an article I did a week or two ago about, you know, that, that proposition of, of whether it's the right time to go back to the theater or not. And I think opinions are really varied on that, but I think, uh, you know, I think from my perspective as a film writer, clearly there'll be still be lots of films to write about, um, Although the, the the stoppage of actually making films might affect that in a year or two, um, but you know whether that will be in the theater or on VOD and is, is all kind of up in the air right now. You you uh, yeah you wrote two articles one on just before Madison movie theaters opened uh, to limited capacity the Cinematheque remains closed at this time. And then you wrote an article uh, about your experiences when you actually went to see a movie. Can you uh, uh, share a little bit of your experience with us now? Yeah, I went last uh, last week to see Tenet. It was like an early access screening, so I would be able to write about it before it opened. So that was sort of the that was a movie I'd really wanted to see, and one I could write about. So I I wanted to review it, but then also you know there were just a lot of questions about what it would be like to go back to a movie theater. And those questions involve like what the security or should be the safety uh, restrictions would be, but also just like, what would it be like? Like, would it feel normal or would it be just this strange, uh, um, you know, sort of, sort of pastiche of what the going to the films would be, you know, and, 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 you know, and sort of have all the elements there, but it wouldn't feel right. So I went and I, I was here in, in Madison, the capacity for a theater is only 10 people, which is right now, I think, great. I mean, I, I think it's much higher in other parts of the country, uh, 25 or even 50%. Um, so, you know, in that sense, I felt pretty safe. Um, but, you know, in the theater, you're dealing with the same things you're dealing with everywhere else in the world right now, which is you're depending on other people to also be careful and also follow the rules. And there are some people switching seats. And, and while you're uh, not supposed to uh, take off your mask unless you're eating or drinking, I mean, does that mean you just lower it for three seconds while you throw popcorn in your mouth? Or do you keep it off unless you got a half empty bucket in your lap? And I think there are different interpretations of that out there, I think. So, um, but you know, what I would say was I, you know, once I sort of got settled, got a, got a seat that was far apart and, and, you know, resolved not to take my mask off, you know, I did, I did lose myself in the movie, which was the biggest, you know, question I had of all. I, and, you know, 
Tenet is a good movie for that in the sense that it's, you know, extremely uh, complicated in some ways. Uh, some of the dialogue is hard to hear, so you're, you're really focused on trying to hear what people are saying. So in that sense, it is an immersive movie that's that's a good way to lose yourself in. Um, and I enjoyed it. I wouldn't say it's one of Nolan's best, but I, I did enjoy it. Um, and, you know, I'm sort of thinking about would I go back? I think I probably would, but I would prioritize going to like the largest theaters in town. And I would maybe even look for movies that, you know, maybe even aren't doing that well. They would not have the full 10 people in it. Right. Um, yeah. I think one of the, one of the, uh, more alarming and unfortunate things you wrote about is that the one thing that hasn't changed is theaters still aren't sending uh, staff into the theater to check on the show at any point, either for the projection or the behavior uh, of the audience. Yeah, and, and I've, now I've since heard from people who have been to other screenings in, in town who have seen ushers come in a time or two, and... Um, so it it could have been just a uh, that screening they didn't somebody was supposed to and didn't I don't really know um, but you know I'm not saying that you need to have an employee sitting there like a hall monitor for two and a half hours making sure nobody uh, you know breaks the rules but you know I think psychologically it makes a difference to have an usher pop their head you know say say something at the beginning and maybe pop their head in once yeah. or twice just so people know that somebody is paying attention to that at and, least once to see that there's an image on the screen and well, yeah, that would be nice. speakers. That'd be nice too. Yeah. Cause it, the, the projectors are all automated now. Right. So yeah, yeah. sure. Oh uh, yeah. That, um, and so that would be, you know, that would be nice. I mean, I think of, uh, you know, Alamo draft house or I think flicks brew house also has somebody at the beginning. Sure. Uh, and it just makes a difference, I think. And, to, and so I, I would hope that, you'll see more of that. Cause I think it, it makes, it, it puts people who might misbehave on notice and it might make uh, people who are playing by the rules feel a little more confident that, that, uh, you know, somebody's looking out for them. Uh, now I would say that as I wrote in my story, you know, 15 minutes before the movie ended, somebody did kind of crash the, the screening and, and whip out their phone, which it was like, Wow, that, that that is a true return to normalcy in movie theaters. Is that kind of rude behavior? It's like, man, we haven't had movies for six months, and you can't stay off your phone for two hours. But uh, I guess that's how how life is. Well, when uh, when we return to screening at the Cinematheque, we'll we'll keep our no cell phone rule uh, intact. And yes, and there's always someone in the theater to uh, <laughs> make sure the show's yeah. running smoothly. We feel very safe at the Cinematheque. Yeah. <laughs> Rob, this was fun. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jim. This was great. 